first of all, we've got new measures in there. So uh, this time we've got reduced age of finishing, which is, is, is a big measure for us. Counts for about 15% of the total abatements from agriculture. We've got a range of feed additives in there. So this is to reduce methane. We have slurry aeration in there that we didn't have the last time. We also have diverse, the impact of diversification options. Hello, I'm Cahill Summers. And I'm Georgia Glenn. You're Chagas Sustainability Advisors, and you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 61, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. With our agricultural emissions reduction target set for 2030, can the sector achieve this in time and what direction can we take to succeed? Chagas researcher Professor Gary Lanigan joins us to discuss the latest update of the third edition of the Marginal Abatement Cost Curve. Gary, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Deirdre. For the uninitiated, can you describe what the MAC is? Okay, so uh, a MAC or a marginal abatement cost curve is essentially an analysis that sets out in a quite a visual way um, sets of mitigation options and their costs. And essentially, it's a it's a glorified cost benefit analysis, and it, it ranks mitigation options from the least expensive to the most expensive. Um, and graphically, then, it's easy to see, A, how much mitigation each option will deliver, and B, how much it will cost. Um, we did the last MAC in 2018. This is our third MAC. Um, and since then, of course, we've had new science. And, and of course, policy has drastically changed with the, um, with the Climate Action and Low Carbon Development Act. Um, and similar to the previous MAC, we have uh, three marginal abatement cost curves, one for agriculture, one for land use, land use change, and one for bioenergy. So when you look at a MAC graph, the width of the bar, you see two things, the width of the bars change and the height of the bars change. So the width of the bar indicates how much mitigation is done and the height of the bar uh, indicates how much it costs. So the higher the bar, the more costly it is, the wider the bar, the more mitigation is done. And if the bar is below the x-axis into the minus territory, then it's happy days. Um, it's a cost negative option, i.e. it saves a farmer or a stakeholder money. Lovely. And the term marginal um, it kind of confuses me a little bit. What does the marginal mean? So, it, so these are marginal costs. So it means it's the total cost of the measure minus the total savings the measure might make, make for you. So a perfect example would be uh, lime, for example. So there is a cost associated with lime. There's a cost associated with spreading the lime. But then the lime saves you uh, nitrogen fertilizer. So for every pH unit um, that uh, your soil goes up, so if you go from pH 5.5 to 6.5, you, you're saving about 70 kilos of nitrogen per hectare. Um, and you're also saving, uh, you know, about 10 to 20 uh, kilos of phosphorus per hectare. So, so you, you've, got a, you've got a phosphorus saving, you've got a nitrogen saving. Um, and so you have to cost those savings in because there's less bagged nitrogen, less phosphorus that you need. Gary, you mentioned this is the third Mac, so I, I know you've been involved from the get-go, so I, I, I hope you're not insulted if I call you the godfather of Mac now at this stage, but so I'm presuming there has been a number of changes from and the first one, and I think, did you say the newest one is a 400-page document or something, so there's obviously a lot of stuff in it? Yeah, 300, 
353 to be ages to be precise. So, so yeah, so it's it's expanded quite considerably. Uh, so there's a lot of changes. So first of all, we've got new measures in there. So uh, this time we've got reduced age of finishing, which is 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 a big measure for us. Counts for about 15% of the total abatements from agriculture. We've got a range of um, uh, we've got a range of feed additives in there. So this is to reduce methane. We have slurriation in there that we didn't have the last time. We also have diverse, the impact of diversification options, um, such as the, the impact of biomethane or organics or forestry on, on stocking rates. Uh, and, and, and if we get a biomethane industry, then there's the use of digestate that follows on from that. Then in terms of land use change, we've got a range of forestry options, such as extending the age of rotation, um, agroforestry, you know, and some, some other measure, hedgerows, et cetera, in there. So there's been a lot of science done in the last five years, so they all have to be incorporated in. On top of that, um, what we've done this time is we've looked at two uh, rates of ambition, if you will. So we've got two adoption rates. So uh, pathway one, which is a high adoption rate, and pathway two, which is a very high adoption rate. And we also have different different speeds of uptake for the different measures. So some of the, the measures, such as low emission slurry spreading, we front load to earlier on during the commitment period because it's a multi-year, um, it's a multi-year target. It's already started from 2021 all the way up to 2030. And then some other measures such as feed additives, we backload. So we have them coming on stream and very strongly towards the end of the decade. And then some other measures that are well known, such as fertilizer formulation, et cetera, we have a linear adoption of those. So depending on the measure, we've got different rates of uptake. So again, that's different. Yeah, you've mentioned feed additives there as well. And I only bring this up because... Uh, and I know you've said there is no silver bullet in the MAC, but um, a lot of farmers are looking at feed additives as a silver bullet. Is, is that correct or how far advanced are we at this stage? Yeah, so so um, I, I wouldn't say they're a silver bullet yet. Um, where we are at the moment is that uh, colleagues in Park and in Grange have been trialling uh, 3NOP, which is the main inhibitor of choice. Its commercial name is Bovair. And it's um, it's being produced by DSM, and uh, that is very very close to market now. Will probably be uh, on market next year for dairy cows, um, and fairly soon after for all bovines. Um, and that that indicating that on a TMR diet, uh, during the housing period, it reduces methane emissions by about thirty percent, and so we have that that in the MAC. Um, the trials um, uh, during the grazing period, so when dairy cows are brought in uh, for milking, uh, more park have been feeding animals with with um, three NOP, um, but it got, it leaves the system quite quickly. So so during the grazing period, they're only seeing about a seven percent reduction. Um, but there is another product um, from Glassport Bio, which is an Irish company, to spin out from Galway University. Um, and they're working with Sinead um, down in Athenryan Grange. Um, and they're seeing very, very promising uh, reductions. They're seeing about a 20% reduction during grazing. Um, and again, a 30, 35% reduction uh, during the housing period. So so it's it's um it's uptake of 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 that inhibitor that we have 
in pathway two uh, or um, 3NOP uh, fed via a bolus, which would probably give you, again, a similar uh, type of reduction. And Gary, you were using um, FAPRI, FAPRI, um, FAPRI, to look at the three different scenarios and how they relate um, to the different pathways. Um, How reliable is that um, modelling? Yeah, so so the FAPRI modelling is a, it's a partial equilibrium economic model. And essentially, uh, my colleagues, uh, Trevor Donlan and uh, Kevin Hanrahan, uh, run that model. Um, and that model is used, um, it, it's extremely reliable um, in that it is used to forecast uh, Irish agriculture. And those, those forecasts feed into uh, European forecasts of where European agriculture will go. So it feeds into the European statistics. It's also used by the EPA um, to project emissions into the future. So the EPA used the FAPRI projection. So FAPRI is is a, is a well-established, um, you know, agricultural economic model um, that's used not not just by Ireland, um, but by 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 other other countries. Um, uh, and 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 in general, the 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 project the projections they're not project, predictions projections um, of agriculture are ba- are always based on the current uh, policy and the current macroeconomic climate now that's not to say those those things can't change but change but based on 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 those um in the past we it, we've seen fairly good correlations between what uh, fapri projects and what actually happens um, and so within those we have um because we have to project our emissions reduction into the future, we also have to project what our baseline emissions will be into the future. So what we did within the MAC was uh, utilize three scenarios. So a, a business as usual scenario, which is, is the current, current economic climate. Um, and what that showed was that um, by, 20, by 2030, it projected we'd have about 1.69 million dairy cows and 632,000 uh, suckler cows. Now, that's a projection of what might happen. It's not us stating that there will be 632,000 dairy cows or, or sorry, suckler cows or 1.69 million dairy cows. It's a projection that based, it's, it's the best projection based on current government policy and current macroeconomic climate. Now, we did two other scenarios. One was uh, to, to, to investigate what would happen if animal numbers were stronger or higher than the current, and what would happen if, um, if there were policies to lower animal numbers. So um, we had scenario two, where there was 1.6 million dairy cows, half million suckler cows, and then scenario three, which was 1.75 million dairy cows and three quarters of a million suckler cows. And the, 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 the resultant um, change in emissions was between the lowest scenario gave you just over 21 million tonnes of greenhouse gases and the highest scenario, uh, just under 23 million tonnes. So uh, roughly about a 2 million uh, tonne um, uh, drift in emissions, depending on whether it was the highest or lowest scenario. And the middle of the road scenario was about 22 million tonnes. Do all of them factor in then a reduction in suckler numbers in the yeah, scenarios? Yeah. That's, so the general trend, the general trend um, up to now has been a year-on-year reduction in the suckler herd. Um, so 
all that FAPRI is doing is projecting that trend into the future. That trend might arrest, like it, it did arrest slightly uh, in 2021. Um, so, you know, we're not saying the suckler herd, you know, must go down or the dairy herd must go up. But what we are saying is that um, emissions, the activity data, you know, be it uh, dairy cows, sheep, pigs, suckler cows, poultry, mineral fertilizer, the, the, the whole of the activity within the, agri, within the agricultural sector cannot go, cannot result in emissions greater than 22 million tonnes, because anything greater than that, we cannot abate and reach our target. Yeah, look, Gary, I, I'm just looking at some figures here in front of me, and um, it's looking like S1 Pathway 2 is our only hope. And even at that, it's very tight. I'm looking the target is 1725 uh, and that pathway two will deliver seventeen. Uh, exactly, and pathway pathway two um, will deliver. Uh, will you'll get there? Um, you know, probably by the skin of your teeth. But I mean, what you're talking about is extremely high rates of adoption with some of our measures. Just to give you a kind of a flavour of of what of what it actually means. Um, what you're talking around about is um, replacing all straight urea with protected urea and replacing over 90% of calcium ammonium nitrate with protected urea. Um, you're talking also about um, reducing nitrogen um, to about uh, 285,000 tonnes uh, by 2030. So that's well under the acclimatised target of 300,000 tonnes. Yeah, you're talking about reducing the age of finishing by three months. You're talking about 50% of feed additives within the dairy diet during grazing and 65% of all bovine diets during the housing period. You're talking about diversification, displacing somewhere in the region about 138,000 livestock units. And then you're talking about things like acidification or slurry aeration in terms of manure management for 40% of dairy farms and 20% of other, other farms, be they pig farms or other livestock farms. The grassland end of things as well, like extending the rotation, that has a massive impact, doesn't it, on emissions? So if you can keep animals out of sheds, um, it has has a, has a number of impacts. So it will reduce ammonia emissions because most of our ammonia emissions occur during the housing period. It reduces manure methane. Um, also because eating fresh grass um, is nutritionally better than eating silage or or hay um, uh, you've got less um, you've got less methane emissions per dry matter in per dry matter in and it's it's positive i suppose that you've come up with a scenario and a pathway that we can we can achieve our targets by 2030 i suppose you've painted a picture there where we need a mass adoption across the country the one thing i would say at the moment is uh, even on social media you would see some uh, I don't know, a little bit of backlash trying to argue the points from even the farmer community, even other members of the community. Uh, I've kind of pushing back a little bit, but from what I'm hearing from you now is we have to just jump on board. Even some farmers are actually saying to me at the moment is, why don't we ban can and ban urea and just go straight to protected urea? This is the kind of conversation that are happening even at farm level. So farmers are starting to see, that they realise we have to just go at this full full metal jacket. Yeah, I mean, you 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 could you could do a ban, um, and 
I, I don't know about can. I, I'd be I'd be resistance ban all can. Um, in that we, you know, we probably do need a little bit of can uh, for the tillage sector. Um, uh, in terms of straight urea, um, I would I would I would certainly ban. I would certainly think that banning straight straight urea uh, would 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 possibly be an option. Um, uh, you know, I, it it is very cheap, absolutely. Um, but in terms of ammonia emissions, we have we're, we've been in breach of our ammonia ceiling since 2016. Um, you look up in Northern Ireland, they're under severe pressure with their ammonia targets, particularly in terms of uh, deposition of nitrogen onto um, onto um, uh, ecosystem vulnerable ecosystems. Um, and really, uh, yes, I've been seeing some things on social media about. Uh, the timing of urea straight urea application and and you know absolutely if you if you uh, there are periods when you can put out straight urea uh, and volatilization will be less but just to one thing to bear in mind we saw some of our highest emissions of ammonia from straight urea in March when the ground was wet um, and you had a bit of wind and a bit of sunshine because the the moist ground um, it hydrolyzes the urea, frees up the ammonium, and then it gets flatlized off. So, you know, um, protected urea, I think, is a bit of a no-brainer. Moving um, from uh, nitrate-based compounds to ammonium-based compounds, back to some of our older compounds, such as 18612 or 101010-20, again, there's a 40% reduction in nitrous oxide emissions compared to the nitrate emissions. Moving over from can to protected urea, Again, it's a no-brainer. It's a cheaper product. I mean, you know, why uh, you, you look at New Zealand, they don't use any calcium ammonium nitrate. Why? Because it's very expensive. So the agricultural efficiency measures which reduce the carbon footprint but only reduce absolute emissions if the volume of farm output is not increasing. Can you explain this? Because we're all about yeah. farm output why, why yeah, is so, this a scenario? So the efficiency measures, we hived off the efficiency measures into their own MAC this time. And the reason being it was causing confusion. Um, it was causing confusion to farmers and it was especially causing confusion to the industry. And um, so what we ended up doing uh, was, so, so these are measures such as um, animal health, such as beef genetics, such as dairy genetics, etc. cetera. Um, and what we... What we find is that, so with with these measures, it it the it they're they're cost negative to implement. So if you implement them, you save money, um, but then you're prone to what's termed the rebound effect. So as you make uh, farming uh, cheaper, as you make it cheaper to produce a product, you end up producing more of it. Yeah. So the the example I give is drive is the the switch from petrol cars to diesel cars. It was projected that that that, that made it um, the efficiency of driving uh, cheap, uh, more greenhouse gas friendly because for every kilometer you drove, there was less CO2 given out, right? But what happened? Transport emissions went up. Why? Because people drove more and they bought bigger cars. They bought SUVs, et cetera. So you ended up with higher emissions. It's exactly the same with the efficiency measures for agriculture. You make agriculture cheaper to do, and then you can, sex semen is a perfect example of that. Um, you can end up expanding uh, your herd 
quicker than you thought. And and in fact, um, uh, talking to some farmers who've done it, um, you know, in the first year of using sex semen, you can end up with too many heifers, dairy heifers. So so um, so again, that's why we hived it off. Now, um, if you have a sector that isn't growing, that's decreasing, um, say such as the beef industry, then those the things like animal health and uh, beef genetics can actually lead to absolute reductions. Um, but in the context of dairy, where the herd is increasing, then it's probably not going to lead to absolute reductions. The one caveat I would say is that when the, the Chapson Moor Park um, looked at um, high EBI animals, um, they found that their methane emissions were actually lower than low EBI animals. So there's a portion of dairy EBI that actually goes into the absolute MAC because it leads to an absolute reduction, but not all of it. I see um, on the MAC there, you have one of the bars is for diversification, Gary. Yeah. What, what's in that? And, and okay. the, uh, the good thing on it as well is it's actually saving the farmer money, but look at it. It's below the line. Yeah, it's, it's below the line, and that depends on the measure, of course. Yeah. So uh, there's four measures in there. So there's uh, a movement to organics, uh, which we assume would um, uh, result in about a 12% reduction in stocking rate. Now, that could be anything from zero because some, some farmers might already be at organic stocking densities, uh, or, or it could be all the way up to maybe a 30 40% reduction in stocking rate. So we hit it at about 12%. So that's one of the measures. Uh, one of the other measures is, far, is, is afforestation because the soils, the forestry can now go on is is narrowing up so we we project there might be some displacement there and um, the big displacer uh, would be growing feedstock grass feedstock for biomethane so we have a biomethane target of 5.7 terawatt hours to reach uh, by 2030 which is extraordinarily ambitious it will require somewhere in the region about 250 um, anaerobic digesters it'll require um somewhere in the region at 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 10 tonnes of grass per hectare, it would require 120,000 hectares. At about eight tonnes, somewhere in the region of 135 to 140,000 hectares. So, you know, that that could be a very big displacer of, of, of animals, and um, particularly if if the, the industry is offering good prices for the for the for the silage. Um, in, in that case, so from all of these, oh, and then there's also um, the increase in, in tillage. So the government has a targeted increase in tillage that may or may not displace some animals. Um, but overall, what we uh, project is somewhere in the region of 138,000 livestock units being displaced. And, and that that's going to be divided up between sheep and, and, uh, and cattle. Huge potential for lots of land use changes, which is great. Um, the one thing when you're here, because I know you're the man to ask, um, peat soils, can you bust this myth first? A lot of farmers, uh, I suppose, are worried about the peat soils being re-wet. Can you explain that, what, what actually happens when you talk about re-wetting peat soils? Yeah, so there's two, two bits there. First of all, um, uh, my colleagues, um, Patui Owen Fenton, uh, Connor Bracken and Lillian O'Sullivan have come out with a paper, which is shown that in fact um, there's less of our soils that have been drained or our peat soils drained uh, than we thought. So we the, the, it was assumed there was about 340,000 hectares of peat soil, of grassland on peat soils uh, that was drained for agricultural use. Looks like that's 
closer to somewhere between about 100 and 120,000 um, hectares. Um, so that's the first thing. So there's less land drains than we thought. Um, and, um, you know, even with that land, if you if you want to raise the water table, um, blocking the drains probably won't bring the water table all the way back to the surface. Um, it might come up near the surface at the wintertime, then drain down a little bit in the summertime. And we see that on a lot of the, 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 the peak uh, sites we've gone to that have blocked drains. Um, and, and they are still grazed in the summertime. So, so they're fields that are generally used for, for height of summer grazing, really, you know. Um, so um, they can still be utilised, even, even if the drains are blocked up. Yeah. Look, Gary, I know you're very busy, so I really want to thank you for taking your time out, but especially want to thank you because you've saved our listeners reading that 350-page document. But if they, wa- if, yeah. if they want to read it and look for more details, we can get it on the Chagas, uh, the Chagas website, Annie, I'm yeah, sure. on the Chagas yeah. website. And there's also a summary document that's 15 pages long and a bit more digestible on the website as well. Lovely. Really appreciate you joining us on the show, Gary. Thanks a million. Keep up the good work. No, Thanks, thank- Gary. No problem. Thanks a lot. Thanks. That's it for this episode of the Chagask Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Chagask researcher, Professor Gary Lanigan, for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahill Summers. And I'm Georgia Glenn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.